did you know that veterans are 39% more likely to be promoted earlier and 160% more likely to have a graduate degree or higher than non-veterans? Yet one third of veterans remain underemployed. In today's Greenlight episode, I will speak with Dan Mish, founder and co-director of the Veterans Advanced Energy Project and senior manager of Wind Asset Management at Invenergy. He has also made it his mission to ensure the 200,000 plus military members who separate from the service every year can seamlessly transition into other purpose-driven industries like clean energy. Thanks for tuning into the green light. Now let's dive in. I'm Catherine McLean, founder and CEO of Dylan Green, and today I have with me Dan Mish. Welcome, Dan. Hi, thank you. Dan's joining us from Chicago, and he's the founder and co-director at the Veterans Advanced Energy Project. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Dan, and your background. Sure. So I am a senior manager at Invenergy in the asset management group working on build transfer projects that are currently under construction. Been there since January this year, so relatively new. And I came to that job from the federal government where I worked as a project manager at National Laboratories working on major investments by the federal government in infrastructure and major scientific equipment, all of which is sort of building on my experience as a Navy lieutenant and nuclear engineer in the submarine service. Interesting. So can you tell us a little bit about what Vets Energy Project does? Yeah, I started the Vets Energy Project in 2016 was part of a nonprofit competition with the nonpartisan nonprofit called the Atlantic Council. They were giving away $20,000 for new ideas to get military veterans engaged in international policy and to specifically elevate the voices of post 9-11 veterans. And so I had been to a training through the Department of Energy with the Foreign Service Institute that educates foreign service officers on energy issues before they go out all over the world and have to deal with energy issues that they might not know that much about. So it was a week-long crash course in energy markets, the fundamentals of diplomacy and policy. And it was really eye-opening for me that even though I'd already made the transition out of the Navy and nuclear and into clean technology and national laboratories to see everything sort of from the big picture as a global view, that would be really interesting to educate other military veterans that might not know as much about it that are getting out of the service to give them a sense of how careers in energy could really help them continue service to the country and make them feel good about the career choices that they were making. We did a pilot of the program. It was a seminar with like 45 people here in Chicago Mm -hmm. in December. So it was very cold, glad people came. And it was very successful. We were able to get a number of partners like the State Department and the University of Illinois at Chicago in Venergy, where I'm currently employed, all signed on. And we did it again in 2018. And then last year, the Atlantic Council came back and was very interested in what we were doing. And they took it from the seminar classroom concept and made it into a summit with nearly 200 people in attendance. This year, we had to go virtual like everybody else. So there were some advantages to that. We were able to get more diverse speakers that we might not have otherwise been able to get all in the same room. And then we also launched a fellowship year-long leadership development program for a highly competitive, selective group of future military veteran leaders in the energy industry that we can dedicate a little more time and resources to their development. Sounds great. I want to talk a bit about why it was created. Can you go into some background of how we decided to start this, the Veterans Advanced Project? 
Yeah, my transition from a military to civilian career was not easy. I had not really put a whole lot of thought into what I was going to do after I left the military. Probably thought I was going to go work in the nuclear energy industry, nuclear engineer. A lot of my friends and colleagues had gone to do the same. And I was interviewing with places like the Nuclear Regulatory Commission or Exelon, but then it was 2012, and so climate change was kind of at the forefront of the presidential debates at that time. Mm-hmm. I didn't really understand so much about it, and especially not the connection with national security. And I happened to be, I guess, at the right place at the right time, because getting the job that I had at the National Laboratories at Argonne here in Chicago really opened my eyes like firsthand the investments that we're making into the next generation clean energy technology that we're going to need to mitigate the worst effects of climate change. And that mission alignment, that sense of purpose and belonging really made me feel good about what I was doing. And I say, I might not have liked my job every day, mm-hmm. but I love what I did. Right. And so I felt like I have other friends and know plenty of veterans who get out in the similar situation that they just don't know what to do. You could see that veterans are more likely to change jobs in their first one or two years than their civilian counterparts. Mm-hmm. And so helping those veterans connect with their mission was really important. I think that's so right, though, isn't it? It's just about mission, having a mission-based job is so important, I think, if you're used to having that in the military. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think for one reason or another, the people that join the military either started with some intrinsic desire to serve the country, or I guarantee by the time that they got out that they left with that feeling and want to continue to serve. I want to talk a little bit about some of the notable accomplishments that the organization has had thus far. Yeah, the Vets Energy Week that we just had in August of this year, we were very happy to be joined by notable speakers like Senator Tammy Duckworth, uh, Pete Buttigieg, and Governor Rick Perry, the former Secretary of Energy. Like I said, being in a virtual setting allows you to get more people than you might have normally gathering everybody in Chicago. We had 600 people registered and 300 downloads of the app with 10,000 views across the week. We had 20 sessions, expert panels, film screenings, networking sessions like virtual Zooms. And so I think all things considered, we're very happy with the results and it's setting us up next year. I don't know if it'll be a fully virtual event like it was now, but certainly it's nice knowing that we're going to be able to integrate more of those options so that people who can't travel or necessarily dedicate the whole day or number of days to the event can still participate in some way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Big fan of Mayor Pete. (laughs) Uh, so how has the clean energy industry been supportive and what companies have been most supportive and in what ways? Invenergy has been the founding sponsor since 2017 when I had the first pilot. And so they have been a sponsor each year that we've held the event, really helping to afford the costs of the event, like bringing speakers in or being able to offer travel scholarships for veterans that might not otherwise be able to come. And clean energy companies are very interested in working with military veterans because of the skill sets that they bring and engaging in this dialogue in a unique way. So I do think that they see the value of what we're trying to do, which is not just a regular job fair, but trying to create excitement and passion about what we do to be able to make connections in an organic way that I think most often leads to career decisions and opportunities that open 
doors for people in need. I want to talk about how the U.S. military, why do you think the U.S. military has been and continues to be such a large proponent of clean energy? So there's two reasons. I think they're ideas that have been around for a long time, but really came to the forefront in the early 2000s. Okay. The first you could look at is less fuel, more fight. The fact that in forward deployed situations, our troops are so dependent on the energy that fuels the mission. And so if you have fuel convoys, say in the Middle East, that is a vulnerability to the entire operation. Whereas um, deployable clean energy solutions like solar panels and grid and batteries can help create microgrids that are more self-sustaining, especially for longer term operations. The second is more at the macro level, the fact that climate change in particular is going to be a threat multiplier, changing the mission of our military. As we see rising global temperatures, increasing seawater levels, resulting in mass migrations, resource shortages, more severe weather events, our military is going to need to respond both to the natural disasters in a humanitarian position, but then also to the increased international conflicts between countries that are happening. So it's something that the military has been preparing for now for years, almost, you could say, decades to adapt themselves and prepare for those realities. What unique role does nuclear energy play in decarbonizing our energy system, do you think? So I often say that when I, you know, left the nuclear Navy that I started learning about climate change and I wasn't so sure how I felt about nuclear anymore as a clean solution. I have come full circle big proponent of nuclear. If you look, it's 20% of our total energy production now. And I just don't think that there's any reasonable way to expect that wind and solar are going to completely replace that. I certainly think we'd be better off to see more of that. Mm -hmm. And then even where I am in Illinois, nuclear energy provides over 50% of our in-state energy production. You can kind of look at part of the reason is that nuclear power was actually invented at the University of Chicago, and it's the reason why Argonne National Lab is where it is. And so Argonne started as the nuclear lab. A lot of that work has moved out to Idaho, but I think that the legacy sort of lives on in the state of Illinois. Interesting. I did not know that. You see, you learn something new every day, a little bit of trivia there <laughs> for us clean energy buffs. <laughs> For me, because I had worked on a nuclear submarine where the technology was invented at Argonne. So it was kind of a full circle moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Uh, so my final question is, how can people or clean energy companies support Veterans Advanced Energy Project? We are always seeking new partners and sponsors, partners to help us spread the word specifically related to our events that are going to be happening throughout the country and for the fellowship applications that are going to open next May. And then sponsors to help us fund the events that we put on. We're housed within the Atlanta Council Global Energy Center, but really a self-sustaining organization where the intent here is that we bring on these partners to help us put on the events that are supporting the military veterans. That's great. Well, thanks so much for talking to us today and appreciate all the good work that you're doing. Yeah, Catherine, thank you very much for the invitation. Thanks for listening to the Greenlight Podcast. Are you looking for your next role in climate tech? Join the latest growing network of clean tech professionals and be the first to know about what industry-leading clean tech companies 
first post new job openings from development to finance to marketing by checking out our website, dylan-green.com slash latest hyphen jobs. Dylan Green is transforming business through talent. You can also find us on YouTube where we engage with today's top clean energy leaders.